This is episode number 25 with Emmy award-winning actor, Bill Oberst Jr. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am so excited about today's super unique interview. I've never had an actor or actress on the show before, and Bill Oberst Jr. is an Emmy award-winning actor who has such an interesting story and interesting perspective on finding your passion. On today's episode, we talk about what our passion actually means and how we go about discovering it. Bill talks about a certain self-limiting factor that he was able to let go of and pursue his passion in spite of it. Bill talks about how important it is as an aspiring actor or actress to be a good listener, to simply be available to others instead of making it all about yourself. I am telling you guys, this episode is going to be a game changer for you. I was so entranced in our conversation that a number of times I completely forgot we were even recording a podcast episode. I want to let you guys know that this is my first interview that I did via Skype. That being said, the audio quality won't be quite as good as it normally is when I interview someone face-to-face, but I'm telling you right now that this is a powerful interview that you won't want to miss and that I know that you're going to get a lot from, so I hope that you listen to the whole thing. Before we get into the episode, I want to talk about action steps towards becoming your best you. How can you actually work on becoming the best version of yourself? I know for me, my energy levels are everything. If I don't feel energized in the morning, afternoon, and evening, I can't coach the way I want to coach or be nearly as productive as I need to be. In order to have this high energy, I have to get in the gym and get the most out of my workouts. So that brings me to my question. Are you always feeling tired? Do you feel that maybe you're not maximizing your time in the gym? If that's the case, feel free to message me about my one-on-one coaching platform to see how I might be able to optimize your time in the workout room so that you can reach your fitness goals and gain back your energy. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If so, share it with a friend who is trying to find their passion. Share it with a loved one that you want to start listening to more. Take a screenshot of it and tag me on your Instagram story. I am so passionate about getting these amazing messages out to as many people as possible, but I can't do it alone. I need your help. But for now, it's time, guys. It's time to work on being our best self today with the one, the only, Bill Oberst Jr. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super excited for this unique interview today that I have with Bill Oberst Jr. Uh, Bill is an Emmy Award-winning actor from uh, on stage and on screen, and I've never actually interviewed an actor before, so I'm very interested to kind of dive in today and uh, that sort of thing. And you know, when becoming the best version of yourself is a unique journey for every single person, and I so I try to bring you guys unique people from different walks of life, from different types of industries, so you can get a unique perspective and a different background from all different kinds of people. So I'm really excited about this unique interview today. Um, But Bill, basically, you know, the way I want to start today is how did you start to discover that acting and going into that industry is something that you wanted to do? Nick, um, first, I want to thank you for having me on. And also, I want to tell you, viewers, how I ended up on this podcast. (laughs) Okay. Nick's aunt... Uh, in a former life, was a booking agent for a very famous Southern comedian named Louis Grizzard. I play Louis Grizzard in a one-man show and have for 19 years. Um, and so I was talking to Nick's aunt about a gig, and so she said, I have this incredible nephew who does this podcast, and um, they put us in touch. And so it's great. It's the way life yeah, that's the way life goes around. Yeah, now tell it. me now. Ask your question because I forgot. Okay. No. Yeah. For sure. I said I wanted to you know start off how you decided to get into the industry of acting and how did you decide that or realize that that was your passion and that you wanted to that's what you wanted to do moving forward. Uh, I'm glad you said passion because I'm a big believer in um, doing what you love, and then everything else comes from that. Mm. 
um, it springs from that. Um, in my personal faith, you know, there's a saying of Jesus of Nazareth, seek first the kingdom of God and all the rest will be added to you. Mm-hmm. And people take that sometimes only in a religious sense, but I think it, there's a much larger sense. You were put on this earth to do something. I believe that everybody has their, uh, something they can do better than hundreds of thousands of other people. Mm-hmm. You find that thing and you start to develop it. You look at other people who've done that thing. And you try to be the best, the most excellent that you can at this thing that you're very, very passionate about. And people say, oh, I'm not passionate about anything. That's not true. You're lying to yourself. You wake up at 3 a.m. Don't think intellect is the destroyer of creation. Don't think. Just feel. First, you need to apply intellect after you, after you feel. But you can't reverse the process. You can't. Think your way to a life's vocation. You feel it bubbling up from inside of you. You're like, my God, I have to do this. And that's what acting was for me as a kid. I didn't know why. I didn't know how. You know, it was a small town in South Carolina and, um, you know, not a, a handsome guy and a straight A student and um, you know, all the answers in Sunday school, pretty unpopular. So there was no path for me to do this, but it just kept bubbling up and bubbling up. And um, I thank God that for some set of life circumstances made me foolish enough to follow it. So that's what I that that's what it was for me. It was just a bubbling up of I have to do this. I have to try this. or I'm not going to be happy if I don't do this. I won't be happy. And um, if you put that first, then money and everything else will follow. But I don't think you can reverse it. Sorry, it's such a long answer. No, no, I, I love that. And actually. The first thing that you, you know, you talked about how you're a faithful person and I am too. And the first thing that I thought about when you talked about how don't think, but feel the, uh, I heard John Maxwell, the famous, um, author and leadership speaker talk about, um, instead of a job calling it a calling and what he said, a calling is, is a passion with a divine touch. And he was a pastor. So he's a faithful person as well. And so love that definition. And I feel like that divine touch part of it is the feel part of it. You know, the passion is the thinking. It, it, to, to create is uh, divine. Mm. No matter what faith you follow or no faith, it's, it's, it's divine. Um, it's something that we can do that other animals can't. And we are animals. Mm-hmm. I do believe that. But that's the spark. That's what we have. We can create. And it doesn't matter what you do, as long as your hand is touching something and making it different than it was when you pull your hand away. And that's where you are. And that's your work. It's so, so important. You know, I I hate the fact that in our culture, money is so valued that people just use the term work. Oh, I have to go to work. I'm going to work as if your life exists outside of this thing called work. And but work is what you do the majority of your day and the majority of your life. If you're not enjoying it. And you're not enthusiastic about it. And you can't be passionate about it at least 75% of the time. Find something else to do because money is not that important. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're not going to be worth a damn at it. And you're not going to make any money. Eventually, people will see through the fact that you're not really passionate. You don't care about what you're doing. You're only doing it for the money. And then the universe takes the money away. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so, you know, you talked about how, or you said that 
or feel before you think. Stop thinking, you know, feel it. I, I think a lot of people are kind of probably in this point in their life, in this stage of their life where maybe they're not sure what they're passionate what they're passionate about. You know, the buzz phrase is find your passion, do what you're passionate about. But a lot of people are stuck thinking like, how do I figure what figure out what that is? And you talk about what brings the, peace. Say that what brings you peace? It's not really about happiness or joy. It's about peace. Um, it peace. It, what makes you feel as if you were flying around and you just landed? You've settled. You're here. What is it that brings you peace? Because if you only go with things you enjoy, well, hell, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of physical sensations you can enjoy. But what brings you peace? Because that's where you've got to live. You've got to live in a settled, peaceful place. You can't be flying around looking for this experience or that experience to complete you. I've had a lot of experiences in my 50 plus years. And I can tell you that they won't complete you. No matter what the experience is, they will not complete you. But that peace, that settled peace, that's what I would say to find your passion. So your passion might not be a thing. It might not be, oh, you know, I... Uh, I Design dresses, that's my passion. Right. Your passion might just be, say, working with your hands. Well, then you got to ask further questions. What kind of, you know, experiment. Try versions of yourself on. Um, you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let me give you an example. This is a silly example, but <laughs> I, my ears get stopped up a lot. So a doctor said to do this. He said, grab the back of your ears and pull them up and out at the same time really hard. And you know what my first thought was? <laughs> They'll come off. <laughs> I'm going to hurt my ears because it feels that way when you make an effort. But he said, they're not going to come off. And so I say the same thing about trying on versions of yourself. You're not going to break yourself. Mm. You're not going to do some damage to yourself that can never be undone. Just try something. If you think this might be my passion, I'm going to try it. If it's not, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Try something else. That's what keeps life fresh. No, I think that's really important that you bring up that that example and what you relate it to because I think a lot of people fear making a mistake, saying if I try this, like I'm going to fail. Like you, it's, nothing says that you can't go back and just try something else. Like experiment, you can experiment as much as you want. A lot of people are held back by the fact that they think something in them is going to break or that they're going to make this huge failure. They're going to make this huge mistake that they can't undone when the reality of the situation is most things you can just keep switching and keep experimenting in different areas. That's right. You got to be a fool. <laughs> you have, you, you got to look in the, don't think highly of yourself. I think that's the ending of the end. If you can look in the mirror and go, you damn fool, then you can lighten up and you can try things. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, you know what, Billy, you made a really bad mistake there and it turned out terribly. So now what are you going to do? Okay, here's here, here's an example in my own business. Um, as an actor on screen projects, you have a director, of course. And so you want to bring something to the table. You want to offer the director different choices. And so sometimes there's something burning inside that you really want to try. So I remember a movie that I had a scene I wanted to do a particular way, and I've been thinking about this for months. So we got on set, and he didn't suggest doing it that way. And I was like... I have, I, I, I've got a thought, you know, let me, let me try this. Let me make this choice. You're going to love this. So he said, okay, go ahead. So I did it my way in the scene. It was over. And he said, Bill, that was a bold choice. And I hate it. And I never want to see it again, but I'm really glad that you made it because it was bold and let's move on. And it was like, okay, <laughs> what I thought I was sure it was going to work and it didn't work. 
and it, and I feel better for having tried it. That's what I think. Yeah, no, I think I, you know, I like that. I think that what the first thing that came to my mind when you said you tried something and he didn't like it is that you don't always know what you want until you know what you don't want. You got to try something on and then realize like, okay, that's definitely not what I wanted it to be or what I thought it was going to look like. And now I can check that off and keep moving on because I think a lot of people have when, when finding their passion, they think I have so many different things that I enjoy. I don't know what I'm going to take on. It's like, okay, we'll try one. If, 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 if that's it, then maybe go full throttle on there. But most likely that first thing's not going to be it. Nick that right. off the list, so go to the it, next one. You're so right, Nick. Inertia is the enemy. Inertia is the enemy. Mm-hmm. If you're paralyzed by a world of choices, just pick one. It's like being in the grocery store and seeing so many versions of Cheerios mm. that you don't know what you want. Just put your hand on one. That's yeah. the start. I think you're very right. And it's like, <laughs> again, people will be, I'm not, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to choose the wrong one. It's okay. Yeah. You can go to the next time you go to the grocery store, you can pick the other one. It's That's a, right. Yeah. You right. You you don't have to eat all the Cheerios. Right. That's a good analogy. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that from now on. Well, we could talk about this kind of stuff all day, but I want to get a little bit more into your story and and kind of your background and moving to LA and that sort of thing. So I, there's this gap time when I was looking you up. You know, I feel like I saw starting dates in your theater career in kind of 1994. Um, and I was kind of wondering what led you to that point and what you were doing leading up to it. Oh, man, I wanted to do – I wanted to act ever since I can remember. I wanted to entertain. I just, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I didn't want to act because I thought I have something to say. I wanted to entertain. All my life I've had um, been cursed or blessed with a really soft heart. I never wanted to hunt. Uh, I never wanted to shoot a bird. I never wanted to damage or hurt anything um, because all life always seemed to me really precious. And maybe that comes from, you know, being a weird kid who looked kind of strange being an outcast. So I just wanted to entertain people to make them feel better. Um, and I couldn't get hired. So I hired myself. And what I mean by that is I went to school and um, I studied acting. I studied in those days. It was called journalism school, J school. And you took journalism as well because the thought was you're probably not going to get hired as an actor so you can learn to do, you know, television stuff. But with my face, I was never going to do television stuff. Uh, but I could not get anyone to hire me or take me seriously as an actor. I remember going to several auditions that I thought, gee, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about this part. I know I'm really right for it, but I'm not getting anything. And so that's when I just started hiring myself. I started creating my own pieces. Um, I started doing solo shows because they were inexpensive, easy for me to do, and they would teach me my craft. Um, and that's how I learned by going out and just starting. I think I started with Mark Twain because that had been done by so many people. And it was a good template to start with. Uh, and then I just started putting my love of history together with stage and learning my craft. I'm a big believer in doing things. If you want to learn how to do things, yeah, there's some basics that you need to learn, but you're not going to learn everything from the book. You need to put your hands on it and start doing it and start feeling it and get the feel of it. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes, a lot in any field. You're going to fall on your ass many times. And then you have to try to think, how can I be sure that never happens again? 
And that's the slow way that you build your craft. It's not easy or glamorous, but that's what led me onto the stage. I just had a passion. I wanted to do it. Um, I come from a business background. My father had a couple of retail businesses. And so that excited me too, the challenge of being my own boss and building my own business. And that's what I started before I started doing film and TV 11 years ago. I did 15 years of touring theater, all created and managed by myself because nobody else would hire me. Mm-hmm. And now I, I don't like other people to hire me. I, I'm addicted to kind of being my own boss. Right. So when I go out to do um, a movie or television show, uh, I consider it, you know, I'm a subcontractor. I'm, I'm bringing what I'm bringing to the project. And then when I'm done, I, I move on and I go to another project. So mm-hmm. I, I've never punched a clock and I've never missed it. That's awesome. Well, I, there's two couple big takeaways that I took out of there. I really liked how you said that you believe in learning from doing because I think that's one thing that is kind of a, a strength of mine that I almost feel that I don't need to know everything before I go into something because I think that's one thing that holds a lot of people back is, oh, I'm not really quite sure how to do that yet or I'm not really sure I know what it takes or what that looks like. And they let that hold them back, that fear, that lack of knowledge that they think they have from actually partaking and submitting themselves into whatever experience it is. But the only way you're going to know and have all the answers is actually doing it and screwing up. And the other thing is you hear, you know, everybody says, learn, like failures are good, learn from your failures, but only if you actually evaluate it, like you said, and make sure that doesn't happen again. Why did it happen? And make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, so I think that That's those correct. are a couple of key it's, takeaways that I think that were very valuable that you were able to, you know, implement in your You'll life. never be ready. Mm-hmm. You'll never be ready. Don't ever wait until you're ready. When you think, okay, I am now completely 110% ready and nothing can go wrong. It never happens. Wait until you feel reasonably competent to try it and a little scared. Mm-hmm. That's the time. Reasonably competent is important. Yeah, no, I like that. Doing something like you know, paragliding or something, but right, yeah, uh, and I don't, I don't that's exactly. Yeah. I think that reasonably competent is a huge part because I understand. <laughs> I, I'm big on understanding the universe of your endeavor, what you want to do. Learn the universe. Um, what do you mean when you say all universe? The aspects of it, even if you're not good at all the aspects of it, understand it. Um, you know, how does this work? That's what I always want to know. It's like you're taking apart. Uh, a piece of electronics or a machine. How does this work? And then I start to feel a confidence when I understand, okay, now I understand that this piece supports this piece. And I may not be able to build all those pieces, but I understand now how the mechanism works. And that gives you the confidence to start moving around in the universe. Mm. Cool, cool. So something that you've mentioned a a number of times now in the interview, which I just keep thinking is funny, is how, you know, you realize that you didn't have this beautiful face, I'm not going to be on television, that sort of thing. And while it's a, you know, it's a limiting belief, and I think we should try to like, kind of negate those, we all have limiting factors to ourselves. We all have things that we're not good at, we don't have that we haven't done or whatever. And I think a lot of people dwell on those. And it lets them, it restricts them for moving forward. But I think it's really key, even though it's kind of like a, a funny thing that you kind of realized it, but then realized it's a weakness, but didn't let you hold it back. It's like, okay, it's a weakness. I can go this other route and, and still kind of follow my dream, follow my passion. So talk a little bit about, 
you know, talk to the point of realizing a, a self maybe limiting factor and then still going for your passion despite of that. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, I can do that easily. Um, great example. I moved to LA. Uh, so I did theater for 15 years and then just by mistake, I ended up in this uh, History Channel docudrama called Sherman's March, and I played General Sherman. I'd never done. I didn't even all I knew was action and cut. I knew nothing about this, but it did really well. <clears throat> and uh, so somebody said, well, you should look into getting an agent in L.A. So I thought, well, I'll just split my time and I'll stay on this coast, but I'll just go to L.A. When, but you can't do that. You either have to be in L.A. or not be in L.A. So um, I got my agent, got a manager, moved out to L.A., and what I had done on stage were mostly historical pieces. And what I was known for, the little bit that I was known on television, was the historical piece playing Sherman. So I thought, OK, I'm going to be a historical actor. But there aren't that many historical roles. And at the same time, there was a writer's strike when I moved out there in 2008. And suddenly um, work was scarce. And you had people who were regulars on series competing with the likes of me. And so I realized that if I'm not going to starve out here, uh, I'm going to have to have a niche, something that's just me, just mine. And I had done one little horror film in North Carolina, which was called Dismal. And I had those clips. So I said, all right. Uh, and, and, and this was because I kept going out for auditions for uh, soccer dads. And one really nice casting director said, let me give you a tip. You look like the soccer dad that's going to kill the team and eat them. <laughs> Um, he said, I understand camera work and let me tell you how you can work. And I said, how? And she said, go dark. And I said, how dark? And she said, with your face, you can't go dark enough. The camera likes you dark. So I thought, okay. So I took everything else off my reel, even though I didn't really want to be Mr. Dark. It's like, this is what's going to work for me. And I have to let the other things go. So I took everything off except the horror clips and started marketing myself that way as the guy with disturbing face and piercing eyes. And then I started getting work and I was at a casting session and somebody said, Oh, you're the guy with the disturbing eyes. And I was like, I'll be damned. You say what you are enough. And people start to say, Oh, that's what you are. Um, it's marketing. So yeah, you, you can't hold on to all versions of yourself that you wish could come true just because you wish you could, they could come true. You can hold all those in your fantasy and it's fine. There's a difference between being, um, uh, realistic and being pessimistic. Some people say, Oh, if you're realistic, then you have to say my dream can never come true. No, you just have to understand the world of the business, the endeavor that you want to move into. What are they looking for? And what niche can I fill? And for me, it was um, a guy who's a pretty decent dramatic actor, really hard worker, who also has this really disturbing face, but he's very grounded, who can play these unhinged characters, but who's very grounded himself. Because there's two sides of my business. One is the stuff you see on screen, and the other side is the hard-nosed business of being on set. And you, they don't want any drama. They want you to show up. Do your work, have something to bring to the table, keep your mouth shut when it's time to keep your mouth shut. In other words, you have to, you got to be two people. And I was able to have that business side and also this. So, yeah. So, and, and once I did that, once I let go of those other versions of myself that I was like, gee, I'd really like to have this and said, Billy, 
this is the pony that's going to ride you. And sure enough, it's ridden, ridden me well. That's awesome. I really think, I think that's really cool how you say, you know, you can't always make things that you wish come true to come true. And then once you get to the point, I feel like when you can fully accept that, then you can start making strides, forward strides in your life. Because I think a lot of people hold on to it for such a long time and holds them back. But once you finally accepted that and you finally made the moves to make only the horror clips and stuff on your page, then you started making strides forward in your career, which is and, and people hold on to things that they haven't tried, so they don't they don't know if they'd like them or not. Mm. As you say, people dream about things for years and decades without ever even delving their toe into that pool, and it's a waste of a life. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So let's move. Let's let's start with your move to LA. You know, everybody moves to LA to try to make it in Hollywood. Uh, I want you to kind of talk to. When you moved there and what kind of going through that grind was like in the in the early on years? Hellishly hard. Hellishly hard. I can't say how hard it is and how tough a business it is and what a backbone it takes. It's constant rejection. Um, I'd say over 90 percent of the time you're going to be told no. Uh, and you have to not stop. You just can't stop. You have to before I really got a foothold and got established. All I would do every day, my job, get up, get your breakfast, sit down at the computer and start submitting. And you submit all day long because casting notices in L.A. roll in all day long. So really, you just eat and submit, eat and submit. And then when you get an audition, you go to the audition, you do the best job you can, you get back and you start submitting again. And you have to keep yourself going in that mindset, not saying, you know what, I think I'd just like to stop and just do something fun because that ain't going to get you where you want to go. You have to make it your job to follow your passion. So then it's not just like, oh, I'm so passionate about being an actor. Yeah, okay. Well, here's the work it takes. Well, gee, I didn't really want to do that. I just kind of wanted to be on the red carpet. Mm -hmm. Well, that's most people who ever wanted to get into my business. Um, And the red carpet is, is a silly experience and it's such a tiny part of yeah, of the the universe of it, mm-hmm. but yeah, you have to just not stop in L.A. And even yeah. then, there's no guarantee that no matter how hard you work, there's no guarantee that anything good is going to happen. And what happens that's good in L.A. is not permanent. Mm-hmm. It's not a place of permanent things. You know, you can be doing really, really well for a couple of movies, and then. If you don't happen to hit the right streak of movies or stay in casting director's eyes, they forget who you are. So it's um, hellishly hard, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Yeah. Gotcha. So there are two things that I believe drive action from people, and I think it's a confidence or belief that something is going to happen or something is going to come from a particular action, and then the other one is passion just in and of itself because – you enjoy it or you feel that calling, that divine touch deep within that it's what you're supposed to do. Do you think you had any sort of confidence or belief that your hard work was going to pay off in the end? Or did you simply just think that you were moving forward, taking action because it was your calling, it was your passion? The second, um, because in LA, it's unrealistic to think And I know people who do this who have vision boards that put up, you know, this is the house I will own in Malibu. 
and just kind of, I never cared about any of that. I was about putting one foot in front of the other and let's keep moving. And sure enough, one thing leads to another. The Emmy win that I was associated with, which was tremendously helpful to my career, happened uh, because in desperation in marketing myself, you know, to give myself something different and harder, um, I became known to people who were looking for, you know, strange faces, strange characters. And so this role of the Facebook stalker came up and uh, I was sent out on the audition and while I was in the audition room, the guy Googled me, the director, and saw all the other stuff I had done. And um, he was like, do, do this. Let me see this face. Try this. Do this. Do this. Because he had all of that online reinforcing that this is who this guy is. And then it ended up winning an Emmy. Um, Criminal Minds that I was recurring on, that job happened because I did an $80 extra job in the middle of the night uh, and showed up and um, that director of that $80 extra job, which was a low point of my life because it was not because it was 80 bucks, but just because it was like, God, is anything great ever going to happen? Just keep putting one foot in front of the other, Billy, keep showing up, do your job, show up. That director was the best friend of one of the series regulars on criminal minds who ended up directing the episode that he cast me on that got me started on Criminal Minds. So that wouldn't have happened had I not shown up, done the job, even though I wasn't going to pay much, just do the job, middle of the night, get up, get some coffee, keep moving, do your job. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in don't have grand visions because then if those visions don't happen, you'll want to stop. Instead, make your vision the next step Mm -hmm. and the next step and the next step. Don't try to see too far in advance. Just take the next step. And small goals are also great, I mm-hmm. think, because then you feel a sense of accomplishment. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely a believer. Small goals, I think, are huge. You have to have goals, action steps. Goals kind of almost is like too big of a thing for small action steps, kind of like just kind of like a daily checklist of things to do. Um, but a couple things. I think that I think a big vision is important because you need to kind of know what your what kind of direction that you're going towards yeah. Uh, yeah. because like, you know, you wanted to, you know, make it or whatever in, in Hollywood. So you had to keep doing as much as possible to kind of keep you relatively on that direct path, but it is super important. And I learned to- the rules. You're right. I learned the rules of that universe. I, I don't mean to say that I did. I talked to as many people as possible and said, how do you do this? What steps are to be taken? So yeah, yeah, I was following a playbook, yeah, but just not always imagining that I was going to be the star quarterback. Exactly, and it sounded like to me that you just have to be a yes person when you're starting off your career. Like every opportunity that comes away, yeah, I'm there. Yes, I'll do it. And I mean, does that do you say basically yes to every single opportunity that might come your way? That's right. Because you never know which one. You do not know which one is going to be the one that. People will see. And I've done a lot of, I've done 150 projects, some big, some small. And, uh, well, I ended up on um, Screen Queens because Jamie Lee Curtis saw a very small film that I had done mm. and like what I had done. So you do your best work wherever you are. But that's a snare in my business, maybe in other businesses too, because you think, oh, what I'm doing is small. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I don't have to put a lot. No. Yeah. Never. You've got to give it your very best every single time. And that's a lot easier to say than to do because oh, yeah. it means you've got to get it up over and over 
and over again. And you can't do that unless you're completely grounded and know this is what I want to do. And I think I'm reasonably good at it. And so I'm going to do the very best that I can. You have to give yourself pep talks all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something just so something just overcame me. So I'm I believe in this idea called or that I've kind of coined or whatever just to myself really attack life when you're young, which means just, you know, take with uh take it with a grain of salt right on the surface, but one of my like steps to attack life when you're young is be the best actor you can be and not by putting on and I don't mean by putting on a face what I mean is when you're an actor and you show up for a specific role, you are trying to be the best at that role at that particular time that you can possibly be. And so what I mean is be your best person, be your best you every single opportunity possible because you never know who's watching. You never know what opportunity might come your way. And like we said, it's so much easier said than done, but I think it's such an important thing to kind of keep on the top of your mind to not be like, oh, nobody's watching right now. Like what's going to come of this, that sort of thing. Whatever you've got to do to even like maybe just trick yourself to think that this opportunity is going to be worth something. So I have to bring my best. You've got to do it. And I think that that's such a big lesson, especially in, you know, the industry that you were in because you had these opportunities come your way when you didn't necessarily foresee them coming. And if I can um, share one other um aspect of it that I I would not have expected. This business seems to be a me, 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 me business, my business, but I find that I get more work um, and uh, advance more and I'm happier when uh, I make myself be interested in other people Mm. and in their work and in their projects and make that the emphasis and try to say me and I a lot less than you. Um, people respond very, very well to that. I started doing this because, you know, I'd show up for a small role and, um, I thought, okay, well, you know what? I want to find out who else is working the shoot, not just the actors though. Who's the guy hanging the lights? Who's the cinematographer? What have they done? Have they done anything that I might've seen? If not, you know, maybe the cinematographer has a reel online so I can go online and I can look. And then when I see him and say, Hey, Bob, you know, that sunset shot that you got at 13 seconds in on your reel was incredible. What lens did you use for that? You'd be astounded how uh, showing interest in other people makes them open up. You learn and it comes back to you and they will show interest in you. Mm. But if you're only always about yourself, um, then people will begin to resent that. And I think it holds you back. Man, I'd absolutely love that because I think a lot of us in whatever job or whatever work, whatever work we're doing, think that we're doing everything that we possibly can. But if I think if we, if we make ourselves more interested in other people, there's always more that you can actually be doing. Because I'm sure a lot of people in who are going after it in Hollywood or trying to be an actor would never maybe necessarily think of that sort of thing. And there's so many small things that you can make of that. So many people who are going to be at those shoots, so many small things that you could look up about them, ask specific questions about what they've done in the past or just their equipment that can make you interested in them. And it's just, I'm just trying to speak to the fact there's always more that you can do if you be creative. What about the the, the caterer on a shoot? I started talking to them and finding out what other shoots have you catered? What are the challenges of your business? 
Um, and people will open up about their end of the business and how it works. And so your universe is expanding, expanding. You're learning more and more and more about the universe. And you become knowledgeable about every single aspect. And then you start to put yourself in their positions. Uh, I am in Brevard, North Carolina right now doing a horror movie. And uh, so there's a lot of blood. And uh, for the makeup effects, you just have to stand still for a long time while I have blood all over me and wounds and whatnot. And the special effects guy said just two nights ago, he said, because uh, I was just standing there. And um, he said, it's a pleasure to work with somebody who's been in the business long enough to know that I don't need to hear you talk right now. I just need you to stand there. And I was like, well, hey, dude, that's my job. And he <laughs> said, yeah, but a lot of people want to tell me, they want to tell me things. They want to tell me the projects because they're so eager to promote themselves to right. everybody instead of just letting me do my job. Mm. So, yeah, there's yeah. something to, uh, there's something to being interested in other people because then you start to get a sixth sense of when to shut up. And sometimes that's just as important as when to talk. <laughs> like that. Um, you know, so you said how, it is such a brutal industry to go to and you probably wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But I want you to imagine somebody's coming to you who is a young, up-and-coming, uh, aspiring actor or actress and they're asking you, should I go and try to do this? And you're going to try to give them the best advice that you can. What is either the quality that you're looking for in them or what is the next question that you're going to ask them to decide whether that's a yes or a no? Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? And if the word fame or famous comes in in any way, honey, no, don't do it because you're in it for the wrong reasons. And when you do achieve the fame, I've been there just a little bit. When you achieve it, it won't make you happy. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Why do you want to do this? The only real reason can be I have to. Um, a preacher told me when I was a kid, I said, how did you decide? He said, you don't decide to be a preacher. Not if you're a good one. Mm. It comes to you and you run from it. And you run from it. And if it catches you, you preach. Mm. <laughs> I never forgot that. It's wow. the same way with the creative profession. You better be doing it just because you can't do anything else and be happy. So if, if that's the answer, then I would tell that person, um, prepare and learn everything you can by doing small projects where you are before you think about, you know, oh, I'm going to just go to L.A. and people are going to find you. No, they're not. They're not going to find you. Nobody cares. Have the best experiences that you can have and then be realistic about your money, too. You have to think of it as a business. And as with most small businesses, you know, it's nine, ten months before you start making money. So you can have nine, ten months of L.A. income in the bank or New York income in the bank before you move. And people are always like, oh, no. It'll be different for me in two weeks. No, no. In two weeks, it's not going to happen. You better have that nine, ten months, six months minimum income in the bank because um, these are expensive places to live. And there's a lot of you. No matter what you are, or how unique you think you are, there's a lot of you. Mm. So that's the pep talk, which is not much of a pep talk. Right. <laughs> sure More it's like convincing right you not to. Well, it, yeah. you know what it does? It, it weeds out well the prepared. It weeds out the weak or it weeds out the people who maybe aren't cut out to do it. Oh, yeah, man. Because uh, all people see about this business is the star end of it. That's all they see. Uh, we're a very celebrity-oriented culture, and they don't understand that. How does the red carpet happen? 
dudes in a truck show up and they unload a piece of industrial carpet from Home Depot. And then another dude shows up and he puts out the stanchions and another dude shows up and puts the lights and plugs them in. And then somebody sets up a table and somebody's got to make sure there's pins. And then we jackasses show up and say, hey, I think I'm on the list. My name is Bill Obers Jr. And they say, oh, yes, of course. And then we kiss and hug. And then afterwards, somebody's got to take the shit down and load it up and haul it off. That's what a red carpet is. There's no glamour to it. Mm-hmm. It's just a mechanical thing that happens because a lot of people do their job. Right. It's And that's a letdown for people because they want there to be something special. They mm-hmm. want there to be something that is, this is unlike anything. No. There's nothing that's unlike anything else in life. No matter what it is, when you go behind the curtain, you'll see people doing their jobs. Mm. No, I, I like that because I think a lot of people go at like I mean, like we talked about. I think a lot of people go after trying to be an actor or actress because of the fame. But what I kind of want to spin off from that is I think I really like trying to promote to other people to attack your passion. You know, go what you're passionate for, and but, but it's kind of a it's kind of a tricky balance because. Some people are, I don't feel, are necessarily cut out to overcome certain things. Like some people aren't aren't cut out to be an actor because they can't overcome certain things. Do you think that there's something that every single person can be truly passionate about to where no matter what, they can overcome basically anything? Or do you think that it's just like certain people are just harder workers and more resilient to that sort of thing than others. I think that everyone has some talent that, and I think it's a gift from God, uh, something that we're put here to do, some vocation. You know, it can be as simple as being kind to animals. That's a vocation. Um, And then the hard work and resilience goes with that. I don't think that there are standout uh, geniuses or people, oh, well, you know, they were just born to do that. Any successful person, you always find lots of unseen hard work, scads of unseen hard work usually. Overnight sensations are never overnight sensations. So, um, yes, yeah, hard work and resilience, but being resilient about something that's in your soul. Not saying, you know, I want to live in this house in Malibu, and so I'm going to be resilient and hardworking about getting that one day. I don't, and I may be wrong, but I... I don't see that as anything that can sustain a happy life. Mm-hmm. It has to come from within. Uh, and do it where you are. That's another thing, Nick. You don't have to do the huge version of the thing you're passionate about. Start by doing the small version. Do it right where you are. You don't. It doesn't have to turn into a business. You know, there doesn't always have to be a financial outcome. There may be, but the, the important thing is to just start doing it and nurturing that thing in your soul. And that's where you get into the divide between uh, the spiritual and the physical. And our culture is primarily um, physically based and things we can touch and tangibles. But I think that the majority of what makes life worthwhile are the intangibles. Um, but that's, that's a split in culture and that's a split in the way we see the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's tough to, it's just tough to overcome it. You know, it's tough to overcome the attraction that society kind of places on money and then like the fame sort of thing because I think a lot of people go after acting or LA or Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, because of that fame. But it's that's not – maybe it shows up as your passion and you think it is, but 
behind the scenes is really because of that sort of thing. But really, you just need to be dive deeper, be more self-aware. Think about what really, really is that thing that you will do and you will keep working towards. You will bring that hard work no matter what happens because of it. Um, That's right. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. I think I think self-awareness is, is really key in, in terms of that sort of thing, in terms of going after the proper career or whatever your passion or calling is. But, you know, I think that you would probably agree that building relationships is a huge part of the industry that you're in. So That's right. And not only because I'm networking. Mm-hmm. That reduces the idea of networking reduces people to um objects uh, like cars on the freeway that I have to get around so I can get where I'm going or people who will I network with people who will help me. I hear that a lot. Well, why don't you just be available to other human beings? In any way that I believe God puts you in touch with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Just be available to them. Just listen. And then you will learn what networking really is. The larger sense of network, agape networking of all of us together, all interconnected. And believe me, better things will happen in your career if you do that than if you try to pick and choose specific people. I see this a lot in my industry. People are like, you know, oh, um, you know, what have you been in? And then they, because they want to rank you, you know, I'm a writer. Oh, have you written anything that I might have known? Because they want to rank you. Stop ranking people. Stop trying to decide, can this person be helpful to me or not? If you try to fall in love that way, you're never going to fall in love. Mm-hmm. Can I fall in love with this person? Is this a person that I could fall in love with? Hell, who knows? Go on a date and listen to them and feel what it's like to be in their presence. And then you'll know. And that's the only way I think to network mm-hmm. is just to start to be available to other people. Sometimes they just need you to listen to them. Sorry, I was talking. No, no, I love that. And I think you were getting ready to answer the – you were basically answer the question that I was getting ready to ask, which was I believe that you see the importance of building relationships in your industry. And then I was going to ask what do you think is the number one thing that you learned in terms of the importance of fostering the best relationship possible? And do you think that it's be interested in others, listen, and so that you think that's that's probably the most important thing? Listen, don't ask questions to try to put people in a box. Um, you know, oh, um, I'm a gaffer. A uh, gaffer is a person who uh, hangs the lights. I'm a gaffer. Don't say, well, you know, what have you done? What, 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 have, what have you worked on? You know, what price? Just say, what's that like? What's that like? Um, how is that for you? What's it like? And then you can ask, if you're watching them do it, you can ask, I love to ask specific questions. Why are you putting that light there? What do you do that? Um, but people have these cookie cutter questions that they want to ask again to rank, you know, how'd you get it? How'd you get into the business? And what have you done? So, and so, so, and so, and, and then the worst is you meet somebody in your own field and like, Oh, what advice would you have for me so that I can advance further in my career? In other words, could I please use you? You know, could you hook me up with just some advice that I can use and then move past you as a human mm-hmm. being? It's awful, man. I like that. I don't, I don't think I've ever thought about it in the way that I just, popped in my head when you said that is you can learn from others without asking learning questions. You know what I mean? Like it's not in order to learn, you don't have to say what's the best piece of advice or ask for specific information. If you just ask questions about what it is that they do, then you can learn that way. And, And let people talk. If you ask people one question, usually 
you don't have to say another word if you don't want to. And don't be offended because they're not asking you a lot of questions about you because most people won't. But what they'll walk away from is saying, hey, have you talked to Nick? Man, he's a great conversationalist. I really enjoyed talking. Why? Because he let me talk about myself for like 10 minutes. <laughs> People love that. Just ask questions and really listen. Do not look down at your phone. Do you, People, do you hear me? I'm telling you, man, there is an entire generation. And when you look down at your phone, they're discounting you. Put the damn thing away. If you're talking to somebody who's you know, over 40, well, there's still a lot of us over 40 who have some influence in helping <laughs> people move forward. Look in their eyes. Look in their eyes because nobody does that. Everybody's doing this. Huh. Oh, so when did you start doing <laughs> Huh. People are always doing that shit. Don't do it. Instead, ask them a question and then look in their eyes. And when they're done... Use the Mike Wallace technique. Uh, Mike Wallace was a correspondent on 60 Minutes when I was a kid. <laughs> and he would always get people to confess to these awful things by just asking questions. And then when they would finish talking, he would just go. And then they'd say something else right. because they want to fill the silence. Mm -hmm. Learn to be a good listener and look in people's eyes and be fully present with them. It goes a really, really long way. I've done that before and then heard from people who said, you know, hey, Bill, I'm doing this project, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I'm like, you know what? I know they're contacting me because I listen to them. Yeah, that's something that I know that was has been a huge weakness of mine in the past. I realized that a lot of times I don't let people – finish their sentences. I kind of, oh, whenever, God. whenever something comes Oops, to my sorry, mind, I did it to you. <laughs> no, you're good. I realize that when a thought comes to my mind, I, I just, it just comes out instead of like storing it and realizing there's still more to listen to and there's still more to learn. And, and I feel like, and I, I've, I've realized this in doing interviews too, that the more I've done this, the more I've gotten better to just sit back. If you, you know, if you think they're done talking, hang on a second. They'll probably say something a little bit more. And that's something that I'm trying to implement in my everyday life in the interviews. But the interviews help me more and more to actually implement it in my everyday life. I almost completely forgot we were doing a recording a podcast right now when you were talking about it. I was like, hang on, don't talk, don't talk and let him go. But all right, go ahead. What were you going to say? It's the yeah, 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 yeah culture, which you see a lot in L.A. People will say, well, you know, um, I was on and then they'll complete the, the sentence. Set. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, I've got it. Move on and talk about other things. It's, it's, it's insulting. Um, it's demeaning. It's presumptive to assume that you know what they want to say. Let them finish and then listen more. Uh, I have to do this because I have aging parents and sometimes one of them will struggle for a word. It just won't come to mind as quickly as it used to. And I have to catch myself from saying, um, you know, the flower store, you know, say, well, I went to the, I'm like, shut up, Billy, let them think, let them think, let it come to them. And it will, if I can just discipline myself to do it, that you're so right. It really is a discipline not to say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on that. It is almost like a generational type thing. I am so bad at doing the yeah, yeah, yeah thing. And it is demeaning. It's assuming that they're finished what they're saying 
and that you've gathered it all and that it's your time to speak. You know, shut up and listen. My turn. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh not my me. Gosh. Not me. I love it, but it, it, it takes so much. guys are horrible about this anyway, right? Because when two guys are talking and we're doing it right now, guys are like, I, I have a thing I want to say. <laughs> it takes so much practice. And what another thing I thought about when you were saying that is I think a lot of us think we have to say yeah in order to make the other person know that we're listening. You don't have to give them – you don't have to acknowledge that you're listening to them just by saying yeah. If you're giving eye contact, that is That's, plenty enough. It. Plenty enough, yeah. or just a head nod, whatever it is. But yeah, and you don't have to fill every blank space with a question, or even worse, a conclusion. So that taught you that your mother didn't really love you, huh? Well, you know, my mom, you concluded, shut them down, and launched into something. I can guarantee you, they're not listening to you. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's such an important thing to start working on. All right, I want to get to the last two questions. Um, so the the last question or the second to last question is. I feel like we, we talked about goals. We talked about vision and then small goals. But I always throw out the age question for this question. So you're currently 53. Is that correct? Is that all right if I say that? <laughs> uh, cool, cool. And uh, and then 10 years down the road, uh, you're going to be 63. Uh, reality of the situation. So what I want to ask you is I'm sure you will have goals, things you want to accomplish, things you want to create, relationships that you want to build. What does 63-year-old Bill look like? What have you done? What have you created? What are you currently doing? That's a, um, that's a good question, and I actually have an answer to it because I've, um, by the grace of God, knock on wood, established myself a little bit in film and television so that uh, I get people asking me to do jobs because I'm known for particular types of roles. So uh, having that, what is it that I am passionate about that I want to create? Having that base, you know, having that base of, of um, income and being able to live. Is that enough? No. Now I want to create something. So three years ago, I had this same thought that you're asking, like, you know, in 10 years, what do I want to be doing? Let's assume that, you know, God willing, the work continues, continues, continues. Is that enough for me? And I was like, no, I'm glad to have it. And I enjoy it. and I love it. But now I want to do something else. I want to build. I want to create something in addition on top of that. And so um, I decided I wanted to do go back to doing solo shows, but I wanted to do a solo show that I could tour with for the rest of my life uh, and about something that really meant something to me. So I reconnected with an author named Ray Bradbury. I never met him, but only through his book. So I love when I was growing up, I love Ray Bradbury. And uh, I started to think nobody's ever done a solo show about Ray Bradbury and Hmm, I wonder. And in the midst of this, he died. And uh, so I wrote to his hometown that was doing a memorial remembrance at a festival. And I said, you know, you never heard of me, but I'm a really big Ray Bradbury fan. And I wonder if I could come and do a reading from Ray's. And they were like, yes. So I came and went on stage of the theater he grew up in, in uh, Waukegan, Illinois, and did this reading of a piece that meant a lot to me when I was a kid and, and got really good. Reaction and those people eventually put me in touch with the Bradbury family and his representatives. And over a three year period, I developed, uh, wrote, edited, received permission for copyright for a solo show as Ray Bradbury, which debuts in Los Angeles in March and then will tour. Uh, and it was a three and a half year process and it's been 
remarkably satisfying because it's something that meant something to me. Uh, and if it works, and I intend for it to work, I can tour it the rest of my life because he died when he was 90. Mm. I'm going to play him at my age and just age with the show wow. like Hal Holbrook did with Mark Twain. So, yeah, 63-year-old Bill for me looks like a guy who's uh, going around the country playing Ray Bradbury and um, bringing people optimism and joy about the human race, which Bradbury did. Yeah, that's great. I love that vision. Uh, so before I let, geez, that was loud thunder. Uh, before I ask the last question, uh, I want to acknowledge you for a lot of things, but for being a true listener. For I think a lot of people going after being an actor and actress in the industry, like you said, are are very much me, 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 and trying to figure out all the possible ways to promote themselves in as big a way as possible. And I think for you to come from a place of put setting your ego aside to want to be there for others and to listen to them is super unique and super special. And for you to set the ego aside and realize that you have this particular maybe weakness or something that you weren't blessed with and still to be able to find some strength outside of that and still go what you're, go for what you're passionate about is just unbelievable, unbelievably ad, uh, admirable. And I just want to acknowledge you for that. Um, so I know that a lot of people are going to love this interview and be impacted uh, impacted by it. So I want them to know how they can follow you, support you. Where can they find you online, social media, and that sort of thing? Um, they can find me online on all the social media platforms as Bill Oberst Jr. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, I follow back. I'm really big on following back, Nick. You know, there's this thing of, oh, I want to be important. So I want a lot of people following me, but I want to, it seems really rude to me. So if somebody follows me, like, you know, if it's a, a lady in Russia, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to follow Olga back. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't look at 5,000 Twitter feeds, but I can follow her back. What does that hurt? She followed me. So yes, I follow back. Um, I answer the mail eventually and i love to interact with people yeah. I, I i have been blessed in that um in doing interviews like this and there are a couple online that i've done about the film industry i hear from people who are in the business or trying to get into the business and they really open up i mean i get these very soulful letters from people saying you know since i was a kid i wanted to do this and i don't know if i'm any good at it and um you know what do i do and I can't give them any real advice. They couldn't find elsewhere, but I can just encourage them to be true to the gift that God has given you. And don't worry about the money. Do what you love, and the money will follow eventually. Mm. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and until then, just uh, just enjoy it, be present, and try to be the best person you can, the best version of the person that God made you to be. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, the last question I always ask everybody is, you know, I've communicated how I think we're all on this constant journey of life. I mean, it looks differently for every single one of us, obviously. Um, but we're all on the similar journey of becoming the best version of ourselves. And like I said, it looks different for every single person. We all have the unique blessings that God has given us. Um, whatever your faith belief is or whatever, you all have your unique talents and the things that you are good at. Um, but what I want to ask for you personally is what are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to become closer to the best version of yourself? Uh, uh, very good. Um, 
procrastination. I have a bad habit of wanting all circumstances to be perfect before I do something. Mm-hmm. Just this morning, I'm, I'm working on my Ray Bradbury script because we open it a month, and it's a 90-minute script, and it has to be exactly word-for-word perfect. And so um, I'm here in Brevard. I have nothing to do but shoot the movie. We're off today. Beside your interview, that's my job. So I set up my iPad. You know, I got it all set to do. It's there's a there's a program called Natural Read. It's not natural at all. It's really funny that you know he's like, "Hello, I am Ray Bradbury." <laughs> but anyway, I had it all set up, and I was like, "Okay, you should go ahead and hit play before you get your coffee." But it was like, "But if I get my coffee and my banana first, then I can sit down and be really comfortable first. I was like, "You know what, Billy? Hit the damn button." <laughs> Now, you don't have to have everything perfect. Listen to the damn script. So that's one. Yeah, one, one is procrastination. Two is um, my desire to be important has never gone away. And this comes from being a, a child who was reviled in a lot of ways. So I have this devilish and demonic desire to be important. Uh, and that leads to pride. And I have to constantly tell myself, you're not anything. You don't mean anything. Only what you do could mean something. Mm. So, yes. And then the third uh, thing that I could do to improve myself is to eat because I'm really skinny. <laughs> I have to remind myself oh to my eat gosh. because I work and work and work and work and work and I just forget. And then my neck is so skinny and people say, my God, you know, it's a good thing you're playing a cadaver because you really <laughs> look like one. Uh, so those are my those are my three things that I could do. One is very easy, just eat more. Right. And then the other two are internal things, demons that I have to fight. Mm. Well, I love it. I think those things are great. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming on. That's all we got. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. Are you doing a good job of listening to the people that you're having conversations with? I know I'm personally bad at being that yeah, yeah, yeah person, but I'm aware of it. I'm constantly trying to shut my mouth tighter and open my ears a little wider. Remember everyone, if you ever look at someone else and think they're such a hard worker, I wish I had that kind of drive, know that you can. You have what it takes. But it takes some self-discovery, some self-awareness to discover what truly is your passion, what truly is your calling in order to breed that kind of work ethic. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you. Best you.